Good morning. We're going to do an Advent uh, focus for the next four weeks, and then on Christmas Eve, uh, we take it from Isaiah. Jesus was born king of the Jews. That's what it says in Matthew. It's in your worship folder. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Jesus both entered and exited this world as king of the Jews. Read in John 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. In order to understand Jesus' mission and passion clearly, we need to look at him through Jewish eyes. And this is where Isaiah is going to help us out. We'll come into the picture. Isaiah is the foremost of the Old Testament Jewish writing prophets. His book is called The Bible in Miniature because there are 39 chapters of judgment and 27 chapters of salvation. It kind of matches the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. That's why it's called a Bible in miniature. Although Isaiah lived over 700 years before Christ came to earth, his book contains numerous prophecies concerning Jesus. In the 10th chapter, having destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, Isaiah prophesies that the kingdom of Assyria would advance toward the southern half of Israel. Israel was divided into two halves. The northern kingdom was called the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. And having decimated the northern half, the kingdom of Israel, Assyria was moving towards the kingdom of Judah in the south. Judah had become a stump cut low to the ground, city after city after city had fallen until the Assyrians were massing and moving toward the Jerusalem, the capital. And yet I, Isaiah prophesies that although a stump, a Messiah would grow out of the stump. See what he says in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah writes and prophesies, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. God promises in his word to bless the world through Abraham. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Again, as we've said, that's a divine grant. It's just something God determines to do. It's There's no conditions, there's no consequences, there's no commandments, there's just a divine commitment. And what God indicates is that through Abraham and the children of Abraham, the Jews, God will channel blessing to the world. He also issues a divine grant to David when David was king. Look what it says in First Chronicles 17. It's in your worship folder. He writes, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. This is who Isaiah is referring to when he says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. At the time, David's dynasty, when he writes this first chronicles, it, it seems to be dwindling. Uzziah had been the king, and his reign was characterized by political and worldly increase, but spiritual decline. And what God prophesies through Nathan to David is that a king was coming who would be from the line of David, one who would embody the ideals of what a king should be. Jesus' bloodline, interestingly enough, goes through... David and Bathsheba. The line of Joseph passes through Solomon, who was the oldest, the firstborn between David and Bathsheba. And then he has a younger brother whose name was Nathan. And so Mary's lineage, no, Joseph's lineage, excuse me, passes through the oldest, Solomon. David and Bathsheba, Solomon, and Joseph. And then there is the younger one, and that is David and Bathsheba through Nathan, and that's Mary. And so their lines converge and come down to Jesus Christ, one who, through the line of David and Bathsheba, through two different paths, um, he is from the line of David. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In the Old Testament, the way the Spirit influenced people is not the same as in the New Testament. The Spirit was placed on individuals to equip them to perform a specific act of service and was put on kings and prophets in particular. It says um, when Moses was 
leading the people and he needed some help, the Spirit came on the elders and the Spirit coming upon the elders equipped them to be able to assist Moses. The Spirit came upon Saul at one point when he was a king and he prophesied and became different. The Spirit um, came upon David when he was anointed king. The Spirit empowered individuals in the Old Testament, though, for a specific period of time. It was temporary. So here's what it says. Um, in Psalm 1 Samuel, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, having equipped him to do what he needed to do. It wasn't a permanent endowment. Then the Spirit departed. Uh, it says as well, David writes, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. In contrast, when the Spirit will come upon this king, the king of the Jews, the one in the line of David, it won't be a temporary thing. Uh, The Spirit would give Jesus the wisdom and power to act, and again, it wouldn't be a temporary measure. What it says is, I will establish to David, Jesus, God, God promises, I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. It's going to be an eternal relationship that is going to benefit some people. What would the king's mission be? What will his what are his marching orders? What are his directive? What will his reign be characterized by? It says it in first this Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It's in your worship folder, too. Here's what it says. Isaiah later on in the end of his prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound. Jesus understood that these were his mission parameters. Again, we'll have Brady come up and he'll have a specific mission. And he'll, we'll hear a little bit, I'll call him up at the end, exactly what he's deployed to accomplish. And as one who is under authority, Jesus comes and understands what his mission will be. In fact, what we read, and it's not in Europe, but listen, in Luke chapter 4, as was his custom, Jesus went into the synagogue. And what they would do is they would ask certain people to read. So Jesus then asked them to give him the scroll. And the scroll from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 61, and here's what Jesus says. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as in Luke 4 it says, and as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, we read, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
I am the one Isaiah was talking about. I am the twig from the stump of Judah, the one that's going to grow up, the one who is going to be an eternal king upon whom the Spirit of God would not just rest temporarily, but eternally. That's what Jesus was saying. And he talks about coming to aid or bless unfortunate ones. Who are these unfortunate ones? We are the unfortunate ones. Gentiles. Here's what in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, what it says. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision, remember that you were at that time and prior to Christ coming and issuing a new covenant. It's talking about what our stake in the covenants that had been established. And this is what he writes. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the ones that Jesus comes to benefit, the one whom the king comes to extend blessing, the poor are not just poor materially, but poor in spirit. Without hope and without God in the world, at that time, it was us. God's covenants were made to Abraham and to David and to Jews, and we Gentiles were not part of the picture. At least it didn't seem like we were. What Jesus will express, we were always part of the picture, and that's what Jesus comes to clarify. Um, We Gentiles are included in God's eternal purpose. However, and this is what we'll come to see, God channels grace to us, but what it appears through Israel, through the children of Abraham, through the king of David, the king of the Jews. Why do I, why do I say this? Well, look what it says in Romans 15. It's in your, it's in your worship folder. Listen to what Paul says. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That means to the Jews. Jesus came specifically as one who was a Jew, the king of the Jews, died the king of the Jews. It says he came to be a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. The patriarchs like Abraham. What Jesus came to do is to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham. All nations on the earth will be blessed through Abraham and his seed. His seed is Jesus. This king that would come up from the line of David 
would benefit not only the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of the world. That's Jesus as well. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the son of David and was, well, commissioned to create something that would allow not just Jews, Gentiles, to become part of God's forever family. Uh, Jesus, the king of the Jews, is the one to and through whom God accepts Gentiles. Again, this being so, Jesus being the king of the Jews, the children of Israel then, being the foundation of the church, the are the ones that extended the message to us were Jews. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, Jude, Paul, Timothy, on and on and on. These are our forefathers. These are the ones to and through whom God extends grace to us. The Bible talks a lot about what would be required of those whom Jesus initially called. What it indicates is that they wouldn't be able to love mother or father or their life. Sometimes we come to the Bible and we forget who it's talking to. Now, again, the Bible is written and it has application. But when Jesus is saying, you're going to leave mother and father and children in fields, he's not just speaking hypothetically. These initial Jewish Christians, they literally had to do that in extending grace to Gentiles. They were hated by family. Hated! Because it seemed like in order to be blessed, you had to be a Jew. And yet what they then indicated, no, Jesus is telling us to go to the Gentiles and bring salvation. And they did that. And they were hated because of it. Why do I make this point? It's tragic. I've said this before. It is tragic that within a century, the Christian church became anti-Semitic. Tragic. Again, God understands. It's, It's not outside of his purpose. But when you consider that we owe our inclusion to them, the thought that we would, I read this Tertullian, this is in the mid-second century, argued that Gentiles had been chosen by God to replace the Jews because Gentiles were worthier and more honorable. That's not true. It's not true. Fourth century, leaders were even more hostile. John Chrysostom went so far as to say that because Jews rejected Christ, They deserved to be killed. They're fit for the slaughter. Christian. About the same time, Augustine argued that Jews should suffer as a perpetual reminder of having murdered Christ. Um, Again, I've talked about this is something like the French becoming anti-Canadian, British, and American after D-Day. When American, British, and Canadian forces landed and Normandy, and because of their sacrifice, 
liberated, not only the French, but Europe, we are included in covenant promises because God made promises to Abraham and to his children, to David and through his son, that this inclusion would move to and through Jews to Gentiles. And we then embrace our inclusion. But let's not forget to and through whom it came. Sometimes we, there was a, and it's difficult. There's a story of somebody coming, a Gentile coming to Jesus and saying, Son of David, heal me. And Jesus has something very harsh to say. And it's, it, you really don't give the children's bread to dogs. And at that time, that was to be a Jew, was to be an in, to be a Gentile, was to be a dog, to be an out. And what the woman said, yeah, but even dogs get scraps from the table. You know what Jesus said to her? I have not seen such great faith because she understood what his intent was, that through him salvation would be extended to the world. The Messiah's mission would be to um, open up salvation, inclusion in God's forever family, his passion. It says, um, and his delight in Isaiah 11:3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What the Messiah's passion would be? He would say exactly what the Father wanted him to say, to whom the Father wanted him to say it. Isaiah talks about a couple of problems that existed. Um, this isn't written. But listen, it says in Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 16, and at that point, um, Israel was morally bankrupt. It just, well, this is what it says. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. There was no truth. There was no integrity. There was no charity. It was morally bankrupt. People were moral flatliners. And he was displeased. The Lord was displeased that there was no justice. And we've looked at this, but he was appalled at something else. There was a stronger reaction to the absence of virtue, the absence of morality, the the absence of character and truth and justice and all those things. Here's what it says. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Intervene means to represent someone, to bring a word from someone. So what it says, God looked and was displeased that people were moral flatliners. The thing that, that, that was appalling is that no one was speaking on God's behalf. No one was saying what God wanted to be said. And Apparently, well, not apparently, it was so that not hearing what God says naturally result in not doing what God wants. Believing leads to behaving. 
if we can't hear what he's saying, we can't do what he wants. So God looked and said, well, of course, people are more flatliners. They don't even know what I'm telling them. And this is the problem. This, well, there you go. This is the problem that Jesus came to rectify. The spiritual program wasn't running. And the problem was there was a weak signal. You know, sometimes how you try to go online and there's a weak signal and it just doesn't transmit data. It just, it just putters out. It goes really slow and it doesn't work and the program doesn't work and it fades in and out and it's a pain in the neck. And, and that's what was happening at that time. The signal was weak because the transmitters were weak. Priests and prophets weren't expressing. Okay, and this is the problem that um, the Redeemer, and this verse is the last one. It's in your worship folder. It says, and a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouths of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. The problem that the, the problem that Jesus comes to fix is the transmission problem. What does God want to say to us? It's what Jesus said, and those who he dispatched to speak on his behalf as well. God dispatched his son to speak, and then Jesus dispatched individuals like, well, really, who is our apostle? Who is the one especially dispatched to help us to understand what we need to understand? We read from a couple things, Paul. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one that tells us that you were without hope. And Paul is the one who experienced travesty after travesty at the hands of his fellow Jews, and he understood it because he was commissioned by the son of David and the seed of Abraham to express things to us so that we could understand and hear what God was saying, because that's what God told the Redeemer to do. He then would, in reflecting what God wants us to understand, my encouragement to you, and, well, you're here. We Pretty much what we do week after week after week is talk about what he says and talk about the commitments that he makes. And... As we, the, the clearer we beget about those commitments, the more we understand what they are and what they mean, the better we will find ourselves able to live the life he wants us to live. Believing leads to behaving. Believing leads to behaving. Misbelieving leads to misbehaving. So my encouragement is, count no time wasted that is spent in cultivating an awareness of what God says to you. And go to places where it's expressed. Come to Bible study at 9 o'clock. There'll be a discussion there. You'll talk with other people. Come here. And, and again, we that's basically what we do week after week after week. Try to understand it a little bit better, a little bit better, because if we understand it a little bit better, 
we find ourselves able to reflect who God wants us to be a little bit more fully. Um, God promised to fix the transmission problem. Um, it was God's eternal intent. And, you know, you hear me talking about Israel, and we'll talk more as we talk about Isaiah's advent. Um, God's eternal intent was to include Gentiles into his forever family. It was not a mid-course correction. Yet, it is true that the fingerprints we find on the doorway that open up into heaven, the fingerprints on the doorway opening up into heaven are Jewish for us. They open the door. And because of what they did, we get to come into the throne of grace and speak freely, which we rejoice in. But let's remember their role in allowing us to do just that. Uh, we're going to experience communion. Um, that's the covenant that we are invited to participate in. And again, the first individuals who told us about this covenant were, were, they were Jewish. They were Jewish. Extending a covenant that was given to them and through them to us. And because they did their job, we now know about this new covenant. We know what Jesus tells us to do. He asks us to take the bread and take the juice and drink and eat. And when you do so, remember his covenant. And his covenant is not just forgiveness. It's a new covenant. It has three things. God puts his law on your mind and writes it on your heart. That's what he says. God creates responsiveness. It says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It's God's purpose that you would get to know him. He wants it more than you do. And what he would ask you to do is believe it. He creates responsiveness. He causes you to know him. And then we've said that he is Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remembers your sins no more. That's what he says and would ask you to believe it. Ask you to believe it. So get the, the bread and the juice and think about the covenant that you are included in and the individual's to and through whom we have learned of this covenant. Jewish. Brady, come on up. I'm going to have, ask Brady a few questions and let's get to know a little bit about what he's involved in. And then I'll ask the rest of the family to come up and we'll pray for Brady. Brady, when do you deploy? Um, I'm actually deploying here in two weeks. So uh, we're going to Texas for pre-deployment testing. Pre-deployment testing. What's that? Uh, it's our medical screening to make sure we're fit to go over to Poland. And um, also our testing on our job to make sure we're fit to do our job. What's your job going to be, um, Brady? I'm a 13 Juliet, which is a direction specialist for the rocket systems I work on. So you are with uh, your the responsibility of your battalion is... Ordinance, you are involved in? Yeah, MLRS, which is a multiple 
launcher rocket system. Ah, so, and you, I think we got your rank wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just got promoted <laughs> last month to specialist, so. And where will you be going, Brady? Um, we're first going to Germany uh, for a few months uh, to do some training, and then we're going to Poland for a little bit. Last question. How do you feel about going? Do you, do you feel nervous? Do you feel excited? What do you, a lot of different things. Uh, at first, I was a little nervous to go because this is my first deployment, but mm. the more I talk to people, the more they say it will be a fun experience, and I'll get to experience a lot of cool stuff there. So, And it's going to be, again, I said this is my last question, but I lied. Um, <laughs> how, how long will you be gone for? I'm going to be gone for nine months. Nine months. Okay. Kings, come on up. Let's, uh, let's, I'm going to have you come up and let's just gather around Brady and, uh, come on down. <laughs> come on up, guys. Just kind of gather around this guy and put our hands on him and, um, let's all stand. Let's pray for Brady. God, thanks for uh, promises that you make. You're with us even to the remotest parts of the earth. And as Brady goes, I ask that you would equip him with everything he needs to do your will. Strengthen him with wisdom and power um, so that he might do the things pleasing to you. Protect him. uh, Bring him back safe. Jesus' name. Amen.